Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pranica. I am your other host, Benjamin R. Harrison. Ben, I think we've begun keeping track of these things, and in the contest of being recognized and seen and greeted out into the wild, I believe I'm now up two to nothing after today. <laughs> Because I was seen, Ben. I was seen, recognized, approached, handshook, and chatted with for a while from our friend Jimmy in Seattle. The people of the Pacific Northwest clearly have something against me because I go there frequently and nobody ever says hi to me. You know what? It... What it takes in Seattle, you've heard of the Seattle chill, right? The Seattle chill is a term of affection for what it's like socially in Seattle, which is uh, you'll walk by people on the sidewalk and they won't regard your existence. Uh, <laughs> like you, you're basically ignored here. It's a city full of tyrannosauruses. I think that's what appeals to me so much about it is that's kind of my default mode. And what it takes to rise to, like, basic human decency level <laughs> of socialization is having a hit podcast, Ben. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. <laughs> Smash I it. Feel, I feel normal socially because I have this stupid podcast. <laughs> that's what it takes. Well, that's, uh, that's just good hard science, Adam. <laughs> kind Jimmy came up to me. This wasn't an easy thing for him. I was with some friends. Enjoying some beers, watching some footballs. Yeah, buds, Jimmy rolls buds up. And suds. Yeah, he rolls up and he's and he like sort of like in a real sotto voce kind of way was like, "Hey, uh, just wanted to let you know, really love your show. Really <laughs> think you and Ben are doing great." Like he did it out of earshot of my friends, and my friends are at the same table as me. That's great. Yeah, so he was really cool about it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm here with my wife. She." Uh, she gave me a t-shirt for Christmas wow. as a gift. And I was like, Jimmy, would have been far more embarrassing had you been wearing that shirt to this <laughs> to this encounter. I'm really glad you're not. Can't wear that to a, a sports good bar. Out of that. Yeah. yeah, you get kicked out of a sports bar for wearing that. We don't serve your kind here. Yeah, real good dude, real nice hang. He went on his way with his great wife, great gift-giving wife, and that was it. So now, uh, in the span of a couple months, I've had two really great interactions with viewers. I recommend it, Ben. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's two to nothing, so you need to get on the scoreboard. I have had chats with viewers, but always at, like, official Max Fun related things. That's what I'm saying. It's different when you're just out in the wild, not associated. Yeah. I've also had the thing at Max Fun related things where I'm there and my wife is there and I'm talking to somebody and she's like, did you know he has a show? <laughs> <laughs> so far, this has happened in front of really close friends of mine where it's been, it's been like, it's felt great when this, when the individual leaves and I turn back around and they're like, oh God. <laughs> 
They're they're like uh, they're like Tasha yarring me. The I can't believe this. I can't believe this. <laughs> it has not happened with my wife around, though. I can't wait for that to happen. That'll be that should count as two points. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if your wife's uh, optic nerves can handle the strain <laughs> that her eyeballs yeah. will will put on them. It's a tremendous amount of torque when those things turn back around. <laughs> yeah, in that circumstance. Oh my God, that's like uh, it's like uh, how many Newton feet of of torque <laughs> are we talking about? I mean, like like she could pull a jeep out of a ditch with the <laughs> amount of torque that she's got on those eye rolls. <laughs> she could pull a jeep down a rainy hill while a Dilophosaurus is running around. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? You want food? Look at me. I just fell down a hill. I'm soaking wet. I don't have any food. Indeed. Well, I was happy for that little moment of joy today in an otherwise ho-hum weekend. And uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for chatting me up, Jimmy. That was super fun. What a cool what a cool story. Um, well, do you want to get to the reason we came here, Adam? Yeah, we're we're not here to just socialize about our many viewers, our many kind viewer interactions. We're here to talk about Season 5, Episode 5, Disaster. This episode starts with like some downtime, right? The ship appears to be just sort of putting through space, killing time in yeah. between missions. They are taking their leisure. Yeah, and we get a scene in 10 Forward where a, a group has gathered around Miles and Keiko, uh, specifically around Keiko's growing belly. Yeah. She went from zero to pregnant, man. I feel like Riker is super pumped to touch her belly because he just recently has also had a little bun in the oven uh, <laughs> in his own personal oven Yeah, a couple episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> when he was pregnant with an ankylosaur. Yeah. He's like, do, do you think it'll have rave paint on it or... <laughs> he understands pregnancy in a way that no one else in this group can who are dudes yeah and uh true to form miles and keiko are bickering yeah if it's a boy michael after my father wait a minute we decided on hero after my father we talked about this last night that's right and we decided on hero this poor kid <laughs> seriously gonna be great yeah I'm gonna be born into a uh, into a divorce i feel like yeah. At this point, I just wish it were over. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, everyone's sort of having a good time. It's a real, it's a real uplifting sort of beginning to the story, yeah. which is which sort of feels like the roller coaster clacking its way to the top of the big fall. Yeah. Right. Riker is having the green punch of imminent doom. There are glass tables, like more glass tables than you remember in Ten <laughs> Forward at this point. Like, yeah. They've got the middle part of the glass tables opened up, like to make it extra long. The yeah. leafs are yeah. installed. Oh, yeah, they the put glass the leaves in for the uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> crowd to come through. Yeah, it's just a ton of glass. The doctor and and Jordy are down in a cargo bay, and the doctor is trying to goad Jordy into doing a few lines from a musical that uh, she's excited excited to put on. Is her real deal like like she's trying to to twist his arm into some sort of performance thing she has going but do you think that she believes that being a song and dance man will do better with the ladies do you think that's her true her true play here oh him? she's like she's gonna tr she's gonna throw Jordy a bone without him even realizing it 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, make him a song and dance man. Yeah. It'll kill. It'll be less creepy. That's an interesting thought. I mean... It worked for Barkley. <laughs> yeah. Barkley's knee-deep in it now. Mm. <laughs> so that's going on. We've got uh, Picard getting handed the awesome responsibility of taking Patterson, Jay Gordon, and and Marissa around the ship. They are children that won the Enterprise Science Fair. This is a duty that the captain gets that our captain, the captain of the entrepreneur, really does not relish. <laughs> no, he's definitely definitely reticent to spend the day with, uh, with three of the hundreds and hundreds of children that live on the ship. Is it just me, or do their science experiments kind of suck? I planted radishes in the special dirt, and they came up all weird. Like, how do you win a science fair by planting radishes into weird dirt? The kid is like seven years old, Adam. That's that's not a project. <laughs> what was your science project in the science fair? It was a pretty garbagey project, I'll yeah, give you that. Exactly. Exactly. My radishes turned out fine. They were they were not fucked up in a way that wins you ribbons. But anyways, this is the kind of frivolous bullshit that's going on <laughs> on the entrepreneur yeah. today. Yeah. And the captain gets on the elevator with the kids. There's, like, I think Chief O'Brien and just, like, you know, a few, like, a handful of randos and Counselor Troy on the on the bridge. Uh, everybody else is getting hammered in 10 forward, and the ship gets a banger dropped on it. Really one of the significant bangers we've ever seen. Because yeah. it just bangs and bangs and bangs. It's like it's like an earthquake that lasts the full minute. It's a it's a it's a you can tell a big banger when they cut to other parts of the ship and it's banging there too. <laughs> yeah. Like this is uh this is almost They do a tour of bangers. Yeah, this is almost saucer section crashing in Star Trek Generations level banger. I mean it's not yeah. quite that big a banger, but like that's the amount of cutting to other rooms we're talking about. It's a banger so bad that people are killed. Yeah. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. Keiko gets a uh, gets a bump on her noggin. It is a glass table holocaust in 10 forward. <laughs> yeah. We haven't seen a lot of glass tables set designed on this show for like the last season. I feel like they saved them up for this one. Yeah. Like yeah. don't set dress with the glass tables. We're saving it for episode five. <laughs> They snuck them into the budget all through season four just so yeah. that they could have a big stockpile ready for this one. Yeah. The ship, when uh, we come back from the title sequence, is in real bad shape. Like, the lights are out everywhere. On the bridge, they have no access to the turbo lifts. They have no comms with the rest of the ship. The people in 10 Forwarder have been banged up so much that it's it's essentially a triage ward. <laughs> the and, exterior shot's shocking. It is... You're supposed to... You're used to seeing this neon ship. Yeah. Like, with really bright lights, and it's murdered out now. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. It's scary. Yeah. 
Yeah, the ship has been uh, has been lowered on its on its uh, axles. <laughs> it's it has clearly illegal tint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you suspect it has ground effects, but it's not moving, so they're not turned on. Yeah, like an air suspension that is just not comfortable for driving around. It's all looks. Yeah, yeah. This is for, form over function for sure. And, uh, the uh, the license the sound of the license plate frame rattling is like <laughs> the only idea that you have that it has a great big stereo system in it. Right. Yeah. It's so bassy that it like <laughs> it vibrates your sternum bone. Yeah. But you yeah. don't actually hear it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they the uh, the officer that was on duty and to no name uh, on the bridge <laughs> has been. Totally covered in lasagna, and uh, the other ensign who uh, who is at ops, like instead of going and running to her, like gets up and runs to the turbo lift and tries to pry it open with his bare hands. Chief O'Brien, the turbo lifts aren't working. We're trapped up here. Uh, yeah, has zero luck. <laughs> Which was a, that was a funny move, I thought. And Picard is in the in the elevator with three bawling children and is. Not equipped to to comfort them or provide any uh, solace that might be meaningful to them. I want you all to stop crying. Everything is going to be all right. These kids, on the one hand, they have a thankless job playing their roles, but at the, at the same time, they are really rough. As child actors, I feel like they are not great. And I don't know what it is. Did they did they get loaded up with too much to do? Or are they just not up to the level of being able to do what little they were given? I don't know. I f- they, they all sort of feel like they're in the... Because the littlest kid is looking off screen all the time. Yeah. Like, he, he's, he's like spiking camera crew people in the back. <laughs> He's, they, they, that kid in particular, but all three of them to varying degrees, sort of feel like they're in the Christmas pageant. Yeah, they really are. And, God, I feel like if you're casting them, a big part of the casting se- session is act like you're crying. Like, give me, yeah. give me real emotion. And they are blowing it. Like, they sound like little baby pigs. They really <laughs> sound bad. <laughs> I really wanted to turn off the episode at this point. Picard is like... squeals were so annoying. Picard is like... Your cries aren't even that realistic. You're gonna have to do something more convincing if you want my sympathy, Rudy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and in the maelstrom, Picard has... Picard's fucked up. He's broken an ankle. And so he's down on the ground of the turbo lift. How did he break an ankle in there? They do, there's a lot of off-camera action that happens surrounding Picard that they don't do anything to, like, it's sort of confusing. It's on the viewer to headcanon the threads together. Yeah. There's there's the ankle breakage, but also, like, this isn't too much of a jump forward. He gets out of the turbo lift that he has already proven that he can't reach the top of. Yeah. And they don't show how he does that. Yeah, those kids are not lifting the weight of that man. Yeah, that's that's not just dead weight. That's old dead weight. Yeah, that that's like heavier than it looks, you know. That's 
Is he wearing the the action jacket in this scene? I think he takes. I think he takes it off for the tour up the elevator shaft. So you could argue oh, that the maybe, action jacket's bad luck. Oh, what about this? That jacket is made of suede, high tensilary strength. What if he mm. like tossed one of the arms up to them, had them tie it off somewhere, and then he hauled himself up with his beefy arm strength? Well, I feel like he's gonna give that plan a lot of thought before doing it because once you rub a rubbed spot into suede and start getting it dirty. <laughs> yeah. That's just a real bear to clean. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, go on, go on YouTube. Uh, there's definitely some good suede cleaning tutorials on there. Uh, especially challenging if it's shoes, but, uh, yeah. surprisingly you can run them under running water as long as you're really careful about getting them super dry right after. That's right. Stuff them with newspapers. Got to stuff them with the newspaper. That's exactly right, Adam. That's the one thing they don't have in a perfect future, Ben. Where's those papers? <laughs> you can't stuff your suede shoes full of iPads <laughs> and isolinear chips. That's not going to happen. No. Speaking of shoes, there's a couple of parts of this episode where you get to see the bottoms of Picard's shoes. Yeah. I really liked that. I liked seeing that they're like worn out. Yeah. He doesn't have I like that too. He's not like a he's not like a Chicago bull where he gets new shoes every every game. He's got Yeah, it was it was cool to see like the Clark's logo on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool to see that he stepped in gum at some point and got it mostly off, but not all of it. <laughs> so comfy. Just just a real nice walking around shoe. That's that's a nicely broken in shoe, you know? Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna replicate a new pair. These are great. Yeah. Not long after this, Ensign Rowe pops up on the bridge. She was in one of the turbo lifts and manages to pry the doors open. And it's our first, our first time uh, confronting the idea that Ensign Rowe is not a one-off. I'm alive. What the hell happened? Welcome back. And she gets a fun entrance, too. Fun entrance for Ensign Rowe. And a fun scene. I mean, a fun episode, I think, too. Like, the the way it breaks down on the bridge is the duty officer bought the farm in the collision. And they've, they've worked out that it was a quantum filament, which is just a random thing in space that you can't detect, apparently. <laughs> so just, like, it could happen at any time and for any reason. But the uh, awkward truth of the matter is that... Deanna Troy is the ranking officer on the deck and therefore is in command of the Enterprise while they are incommunicado with the rest of the ship. And, uh, and Ensign Rowe and Chief O'Brien immediately take up uh, fairly uh, antagonistic sides of her senior staff. Rowe is by far the more headstrong of the remaining bridge crew in terms of uh, the course of action that she is recommending that yeah. they take. But I feel like O'Brien really performs admirably in this role. Like, I don't think he's a dick about it. He is just real professional yeah. with his advice and how he treats what is really both the viewer and everyone else is supposed to realize is an ill-equipped leader. Right. I believe Counselor Troy is the senior officer on the deck. Counselor Troy? 
She carries the rank of Lieutenant Commander. I'd, um, I'd appreciate some suggestions. And I think that this is a really cool episode for Troy because I kind of feel like the writing staff is like looking into the camera and admitting that they have really underwritten her so far. Yeah. And they're saying like, and, and this is the result of that, but we're going to try and do better from now on. Yeah. So like she is under equipped, but it's this like really vulnerable performance where she seizes the, you know, she, she needs to be a leader and she rises to the occasion, but it's a journey. Yeah. And, and like she begins that journey sort of feeling bad yeah. about her circumstances and that like she is because of the rule the commanding officer in that moment but she's she's sort of apologetic about it with everyone like yeah. she doesn't she does not seize the crown in any way that that establishes her dominance and and that she is the leader for the rest of them and it sort of allows Roe to fill that vacuum of leadership and really throw her weight around. Yeah, it's sort of, she's sort of like a Kevin Smith character in that way. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today! <laughs> yeah. My love is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurseth the disease. So this is a story that gets told in, in a couple of different settings, right? We've yeah. got the bridge crew, skeleton crew. We've got the 10 forward area. Which has like Riker and Data and Worf. And Keiko. And Keiko, right. And then you've got the Doctor and Geordi in the cargo bay. Right. And and Picard and the three bawling children. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's sort of fun to have that story told in multiple different scenes. Mm-hmm. And every one of them has really big stakes. Yeah. It's not just like an A story and a, and a B story and a distant C story. Like, people could die in every one of these scenes mm-hmm. if things don't go exactly right. Right. It's real pulp fictiony in that way. There's no one one storyline that, that is the most important in the film. So let's go around the horn a little bit, Ben. Let's the do scene it. in the shuttle bay is that Jordy and Beverly are in there trying to get the door open and their fucking garage door clicker isn't working. Yeah. They're trying to get the door open. It's not happening, so they're fiddling around yeah. in uh in the computer in the wall. And the doctor and Beverly- like takes a lean on, on the wall and she's like, Ow! <laughs> Yeah, she she puts the back of her hand against it to check for heat, as you're supposed to do, like in a house fire. Yeah. She's like, Jordy, this wall is really hot. It's surprising that Jordy didn't pick that up on the visor, right? I thought the same thing. Yeah, what does that visor see if not heat? He can do metallurgy, but he can't do thermal stuff? Yeah. Weird. Well, anyways, he's uh, he's got his arm like halfway down this hole when uh, it explodes. And uh, there's this creepy green flame coming out of this wall panel they had opened up. That's a plasma fire. It's putting out a lot of radiation. But also there's some barrels of some some uh, fissile material. The boratum in those containers is used in emergency thruster packs. It's normally pretty stable stuff, but when you expose boratum to radiation, as a way of exploding. Now, when you're working in an industrial area... <laughs> You're going to want an OSHA-approved fire extinguisher on hand at all times. <laughs> I recommend keeping all radio-sensitive materials in a lead-lined yellow barrel 
with <laughs> nice bright red markings so that your co-workers on the job site can tell that that's a dangerous substance. Now when you put out a plasma fire, you want to sweep the fire extinguisher <laughs> along the floor. Aim at the base of the fire at all times. Make sure that your fire extinguisher has been recently inspected and serviced. If you don't know <laughs> the inspection schedule, call your local fire marshal. Yeah, and the deal with this plasma fire is that it's going to keep burning as long as there's air. And they've got all this radioactive material in the shuttle bay with them. They only have hours to live at this point. It's yeah. a real thing. Not a great situation for them. So yeah. they're like, well, uh, <laughs> we don't have our mag liner in here, so we're just going to have to... Uh, we're just going to have to hulk these barrels across the bay just to get them, like, a little bit further away from the fire. Uh, yeah. And that's, like, that's like our, our opening move here. But we're at a loss. Jordy's like, Bev, you're not pregnant anymore, right? You can, <laughs> you can move these heavy barrels with me? Good. Hey, Doc, you shit out that kid? <laughs> so they start getting to work moving these barrels across uh, the shuttle bay. Meanwhile, in 10 forward... Access to the bridge has been completely severed by emergency bulkheads. Six bay? Heavy damage to section 23A has cut off access to six bay. They're looking at splitting up the group there. Reestablishing control of the ship should be our top priority. Agreed. Can we get to engineering? No, sir. The most direct route is blocked, but I believe we can use a starboard service crawlway. Okay. You and I will try to get there, Mr. Worf. This room is about to fill up with wounded in a few minutes. They're going to need help. I want you to stay in charge here. One of the consequences of this big banger is that communications is down and computers are crippled in such a way that they really don't know what other parts of the ship what condition the other parts of the ship are in. So they're really sort of blind. Yeah. And they're sort of triaging the situation in their different areas. Like, well, if I'm closest to engineering, that's where I should go. And that's what the plan is from 10 forward. Even though, like, on the map, engineering is a real fucking hike from 10 forward. Yeah, exactly. Like, why is it better for them to go there than the bridge? They're fucking know. 10 floors below the bridge. They're nine yeah. floors below the bridge. Yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> so they're going to do the crawl through the Jeffries tubes to get to engineering. Uh, Picard is in the elevator and uh, trying to get out the top. And um, this is when he realizes that these kids are uh, going to be dead weight until he can get them uh, functioning again. Yeah. And, uh, and And so he comes up with actually like a pretty clever... Uh, scheme for managing them, which is he um, he gives them field commissions. So, so the girl who's like the oldest of of the three is uh, uh, given a couple of pips and declared to be his number one. Uh, Jay Gordon is the science officer, and uh, little and little Patterson is the botanist or something. <laughs> He's like the chief of radishes. Yeah. Cat. Which, in a weird way, outranks O'Brien, like, at all times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what Keiko's actual job is, too, so. Yeah, the captain pips them out. Yeah. If you like it, then you should have put a pip on it. Yeah, so what Picard's able to do is marshal their effort and sort of beat back the crying. Yeah. But neither of those things is able to get him on the roof of the turbo lift, which he magically does. Yeah. That's a scene we don't see. We don't see that. 
There was also the part where he had them like hauling the cables out of the thing. Maybe he made a rope out of that. Is that what he did? I was paying attention. Didn't they like dig know. the cables out of the box? They did. But they did, but we don't, don't see know. how the cables yeah. were used. I don't. I don't. Gonna like throw a lasso to the roof of the turbo lift. Adam, who cares? It's just a. That's just a detail, man. It's about the relationship. I'm a stickler for continuity. <laughs> well, if uh, if you're a stickler for continuity, uh, you would have been complaining about the fact that Marissa had the pips on her collar. And then he decides to make her number one and gives her some pips for her collar. Right. Yeah. Not great. <laughs> I am acute as a ball. You will assist us. I am acute as a ball. You are ball. And uh, 10 forward, Keiko is about to have that baby. Yeah, I guess all the jostling really, uh, really shook things loose down there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how babies work, so I'm just assuming that uh, with what with all the glass table shattering, and the falling on the ground, and the head strike that yeah. happens, uh, the baby's ba- coming. The baby is like, I, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really like about self preservation for the baby. This might be the baby's only way to escape the relationship with Miles and Keiko. Yeah, if uh, it can just sort of sneak out during a disaster. <laughs> I love that. So, like, Worf has sort of been given the job of medical officer in uh, in Ten Forward. <laughs> I love Worf's the doula. I love his bedside manner. I'm going into labor. You cannot. This is not a good time, Keiko. I would love to just like have this series, but with Beverly and Worf's roles reversed. Just yeah. just to see an entire series of Worf's, you know, like you have stage four breast cancer. Abandon hope. Dr. Worf, medicine man. <laughs> if you didn't want to choke, you shouldn't have aspirated on your food. Shameful. <laughs> yeah. it would. It's great to just sort of retcon all of the six bay scenes that we've seen with Beverly and just sort of mentally replace her with Worf. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Only a coward bleeds when they cut themselves on paper. Can you imagine O'Brien goes in there with his separated shoulder from kayaking? <laughs> Worf just turns him away. Yeah. Not today, curly-haired man. Kayaking is not a warrior's sport. So the, the Keiko labor scene is commencing. Up on the bridge, Roe and, and uh, O'Brien are real loggerheads because they've discovered that the containment feel around the antimatter pods is declining quickly and uh, if it gets below 15% of uh, normal field strength it's uh, that means the field is going to collapse and the ship will explode Troy is playing a very important role in this scene and every other scene which is the viewer's proxy right like they have to explain all of this shit to her because she doesn't get the danger like they're they're talking techno speak back and forth and Troy's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and then they have to explain it to her, which is basically a turn to camera for us. Yeah. The field strength is at 40% and it is still falling. If it falls to 15%, the field will collapse. And we'll have a containment breach. Which means? Which means the ship will explode. The position Roe has taken is like, we don't have any evidence that anybody in the star drive section is alive. So let's get the saucer out of here, like un- under impulse and potentially save hundreds of crew people from that thing blowing up. 
And O'Brien is like, well, wait, we don't know if there are people alive in the star drive. Let's try and give them a shot at repairing this situation so that we can uh, try to save everybody. And that's actually like a pretty legitimate conflict, I think. Like the the those two the two sides of that argument are both really legitimate given the information they have, and they both feel really strongly that they're they've taken the right position. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely make the case for both sides, and they do. And so Troy's stuck in the middle. Yeah. This uh, this scene sort of made me wonder if O'Brien has a better relationship with Roe than he does with Keiko, though. Because for all yeah. of their disagreement, they stay, like, pretty respectful of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't, like, it occasionally devolves into a little bit of ad hominem. But for the most part, they're prepared for the other person to present some information that will change their mind, you know? Roe is fairly openly contemptuous of Troy. Yeah, because I think her thing is, is like, you know, this is something I actually work on. Yeah. And because of some technicality with how Starfleet issues ranks to, to counselors, yeah. you're, the, you're the commanding officer and you're not actually trained for this. Yeah, like, like, hey, Deanna, why don't you counsel the turbo lift doors open? <laughs> oh, wait, that's not working, is it? <laughs> well, in the cargo bay, Jordy and the doctor have come up with a plan for putting this fire out, and it's a two birds with one stone type of plan. What they're going to do is hit a button that blows the hatch and lets all the air out of the bay also blowing all of the barrels out and uh and also blowing the fire out uh the (laughs) the downside of this is that they're going to be in there because they don't have any way to get out either and they're going to have to the two panels the one that opens the door and the other one that pressurizes the the room are on opposite sides of the bay from each other so this is a risky maneuver Now, when you're designing a galaxy-class starship, (laughs) you're going to want to put the panel that pressurizes the shuttle bay across the shuttle bay from the panel that opens the shuttle bay door. (laughs) Much like when you're installing a sink disposal, you want the switch to be far enough away that a normal human adult can't have the hand in the drain when the grinder is running. Yeah, it's a real uh, wedding ring in the garbage disposal situation for Jordy and Beverly right now in that shuttle bay. Uh, and and they're sort of teasing a end of Aliens moment here, which yeah. is an exciting amount of tension building. Sure is. And I was like, oh man, I am ready to see this doctor get blown horizontal one more time. I know. It's sort of her move. It is. It's, it's more of a move than her tap dancing. Yeah. Kids and, and the captain are debating how to escape the elevator, and the kids refuse the captain's order to get out of there without him. And mm-hmm. uh, this is, unfortunately, Adam, I think, our episode of Crimson Tide in Space, <laughs> because yeah. it devolves into Captain Picard climbing up a ladder with three children singing a round of Frere Jacques. What we need is a climbing song. 
Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques, dormez-vous, dormez-vous. Sonnez la matine, sonnez la matine. Ding, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong. Very good. Now, keep singing. It's a pretty unfortunate scene, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that sound, the acoustics of the uh, turbo lift shaft are great for that song, though. Yeah, I mean, the epic scene of watching a turbo lift crash to the bottom of the shaft is enough to force them into song, and that's the song they choose to sing. Yeah. It's a pretty metal moment that they totally... (laughs) They totally kneecap. (laughs) Fair enough. And then Keiko pushes out that baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that baby comes out with the help of Dula Wharf, Dula Edition Wharf, which is an action figure version of him I don't think we have the option of buying. Yeah, he's got like cowrie shells woven into his hair and like some amber beads on a necklace. I feel like our buddy B. Tills could put together a uh, a hacked version of a Wharf action figure and like put together Dula Wharf. Yeah. He's pretty crafty like that. Yeah, he's got, he's got the skills to, to put something like that together. B. Tilly, of course, the uh, friend of ours who does our great Star Trek cards on Twitter. Um, Have you been getting a load of the Riker Collection VHS box art that's been going up on Twitter? I have. I've been getting a big load of that. Yeah, that's uh, at Ann Kilzer on Twitter is is doing those. And uh, man, I mean, I think she's kind of giving Bill Tilly a run for his money. No pressure or anything. I From think the our more the lips merrier. to the crafter's hands, like like I remember mentioning how much fun it would be to have the Riker collection exist. Yeah, in that pink neon script, and here it is. It's it is perfect. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So fucking good. <laughs> she does the thing that Bill Tilly does so well, which is she finds the screenshot that perfectly says what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's real fun. And uh, and and is fully adding to the to the comedy. Uh, yeah, you know it's 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 not retelling the joke. It's it's telling it better. Yeah, she's she's telling it better for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Worf rises to the occasion. Picard... Worf just stands there with a catcher's mitt, like just waiting. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to want to eat a sandwich off at that table in ten forward after Keiko's given birth on it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That might that might have to be exclusively for p- playing Stratagema from now on. You shoot that one out of the torpedo tube, I think, and just <laughs> let it float free. Of all the souls I've encountered in my time in Starfleet, this table had the most human <laughs> endometrium on it. This table had the most juices. <laughs> the most placenta. <laughs> Boy, I bet uh, I bet Worf's down to eat that placenta. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, come on, that's a warrior's meal right there. Chop it up over some gach. Oh yeah, you're not making tea out of it; you're just eating it raw. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it turns out it's a it's a baby girl, not a baby boy, like Keiko is predicting. Mm. Jordy and the Doctor blow all the air into space. The Doctor manages to make it to the panel, repressurize the bay. And that leaves Data and Riker. Yeah. Who have traversed, I think they said, 50 meters of Jeffrey's tubes, uh, which the math on that doesn't really compute either. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) 
on their way to engineering. Did you like they, that scene where Data actually got to try suicide on for size? In one of the great Data suicide callbacks, they come across a barrier that seems pretty insurmountable. It's basically a wall of lightning. <laughs> it's the most Data, insane barrier yeah. of all time. Data and Riker look at this thing and they're like, well, how are we going to get past this thing? And what they need is is like a broom, a wooden broom that isn't going to conduct any electricity. And Data's like, well, I'm one of those. <laughs> Much of my body framework is made up of tripolymers, a non-conductive material. And uh, as if that wasn't macabre enough, he talks Riker into dismounting his head and taking it with him for the rest of the journey. So uh, when uh, they show up in engineering, what's happened is the bridge crew have shunted some of the some of the emergency power that they managed to get down to the panel in engineering that shows that there's a problem with with uh, antimatter containment and Riker is able to like hotwire data's head into <laughs> into the computer system with literally moments to spare before <laughs> the uh, the containment collapses and uh, they save the ship just in the nick of time and and Roe has to admit to O'Brien that she she had it all wrong this is becoming a speech you're the captain sir you're entitled Time to ramble on about something everyone knows. Then we get the sweetest, sugariest button on an episode, maybe ever, don't we? Yeah. Well, everything is all good. The uh, the ship is heading back to Starbase for repairs. Uh, Troy saunters onto the bridge with the three kids, and she zings the hell out of Riker. Like <laughs> he's like, "Hey, yeah, uh, how did command suit you? You like that big chair or what?" And like, I don't think I'm cut out to be captain. First officer, maybe. I understand there aren't many qualifications. Slide whistle. Yeah. And then the kids give a plaque commemorating their experience to Captain Picard. And uh, he thanks them. And as he's walking off, he tells number one, you've got the bridge. And both uh, Marissa and, and Riker say, aye, aye, captain. And... Uh, it's a it's a slide whistle for sure, but Adam. He sort of dukes a hazard this ending. You yeah. Know? But I feel like the slide whistles of of your were sort of hapless. And, yeah. And this one felt really earned. This was intentionally hapless. Yeah. It was cute. Yeah, it was real cute. I I don't know how I feel about it though. It was like. Basically, everyone in the scene was antiqued with powdered sugar. It was so sweet. Real sweet. Like, winking? Picard winks? Picard hates kids. I think he's come around. I don't know. I would have been good with it if not for the wink. Like, the wink was too much. <laughs> okay. And where's he going to put that plaque? I know. I, I like. There better be some plaque continuity, Ben. There's there's all these like there's all these little props that Picard has collected over the course of his time as captain, like the Mintakin bandage thing and the knife that uh, that the slickback kid stabbed him with. Yeah, I feel like this is not going to be <laughs> quite as lovingly preserved as some of those other things. What's the name of the girl? The older girl, Marissa. Marissa does that thing that you just can't do. Like one of the rules of presentations 
is that you don't read the slide <laughs> when you're doing a presentation. Yeah. And when they present the the plaque to Picard, she basically says exactly what's on it. Yeah. You got you to do better than that, Marissa. Yeah. Seriously. Real garbage presentation, if you ask me. One thing that I found really heartening about this plaque was uh, for for Halloween this year, I went as as Wesley Crusher, the boy. The boy. <laughs> and uh, I made my own communicator badge because I forgot that he didn't have a communicator badge in the uniform that I was wearing. Yeah. And I just made it out of cardboard by kind of tracing the two shapes and cutting them out and gluing them on top of each other. And it came out looking really bad, but it looks it's a dead ringer for the <laughs> the Starfleet badge that the kids drew on this plaque. So Yeah. I don't feel that bad after all. You demonstrated like a nine year old's crafting ability. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. I'm 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 Jay Gordon level crafting. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? I did enjoy the episode, but it is very flawed. It is profoundly flawed. The continuity is totally fucked up. (laughs) How come Jordy and Bev can open the door into space, but they can't open the door into the corridor? Like, their clicker (laughs) works for one of the shuttle bay doors, but not the other. I didn't get that. There's the whole continuity with uh, Picard getting out of the turbo lift shaft. And then there's Data guessing correctly that he would not be killed by the lightning. (laughs) It really asks you to take a number of leaps here. Yeah. But I think that it's sort of an episode that confirms the, the theory that you were advancing recently that Star Trek is a place. Yeah, And this is like a, a series of little stories that happen in that place. It's not, it's not some big existential crisis or some, time-space rift that they have to puzzle their way through. It's just like, you know, this bad thing happened, and these characters that we now know uh, have to have to kind of cope. And uh, I like that it's just kind of a bunch of little vignettes about, about them. And, you know, it largely is a very loving series of vignettes, you know. It gives more for them each to do than they often get. I completely agree. It really... It shows the potential that the show has when they decide to share the ball a little bit mm-hmm. among among different groupings of crew members. Yeah, and they ch- and they choose to tell the story in terms of place instead of plot. Like they did a great job here. They also did not take the bait of cartooning up Troy's inability to command. Like they could have really fucked up her character and made fun of her and mm-hmm. have been cruel about it. But they weren't. Like, she was unprepared, and she knew it, but she still led. Yeah. She was not the right choice to lead, but she did because that was her rank, and she did a good job. Yeah. She's the hero we have right now. Yeah, totally. So, like, it, this, this episode cashed in on a lot of good potential here. So I liked it. Yeah. Uh, Adam, we have a light blinking here, and occasionally that means we have... Priority one messages to check in on. Shall we take a look? Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. 
Hey team, Adam is literally traveling in the Far East, so he's not here to do Jumbotrons with me at time of editing this episode, so I'm going to do them myself. Our first Priority One message here is a commercial message, and here it is. Are you a nerd? You must be if you're listening to this show and hearing this message. So subscribe to the greatest nerd history podcast from the Alpha Quadrant. The Internet History Podcast. Histories of everything from the Netscape browser to the iPhone. And oral histories and in-depth interviews with the people that made it happen. Everyone from the inventor of the MP3 to the guy that first tried online dating. Subscribe to the Internet History Podcast at wherever podcasts happen for you. That sounds like an excellent show. Although I wouldn't look to it if you want a history of the Hoosnack. I did away not only with all Hoosnack everywhere, but also with the history of the Hoosnack. I'm the only person you're ever going to hear about Hoosnack from. And maybe that will make you question whether the Hoosnack are even a thing. Or maybe it's just a yarn that I spin to make everybody fear me. Well... I'll let you scratch your head about that, but you should go subscribe to this podcast right now. Thanks so much to the Internet History Podcast for that message. Uh, That sounds like a great show. I will definitely be subscribing. Uh, We have one personal message here. It is from Andrea, and it is to Gabe. Here's that one. Happy birthday to my number one. Thank you for being an amazing guy who's smarter than Jean-Luc and sexier than Riker. Have a great 36th year of life, Gabe. And then Andrea goes on to ask Adam and I to do something that will make this extra fun for Gabe. Uh, So I'm going to assume that that is probably something to do with Picasby, so... It's your 36th birthday, Rudy! I hope you have a delicious cake that doesn't have any pudding anywhere near it. I won't be able to attend your party because I'm a fictional character, and that's better for everyone. Theo! So, those are <laughs> those are our Priority One messages. Uh, sorry Adam wasn't here for that, but uh, he will be back soon. And if you would like to leave a Priority One message, uh, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbodron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Big part of how we fund the existence of this show and they are much appreciated. Thanks! Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. 
But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Boy, I did. Uh, there is that big banger sequence at the beginning of the episode and <laughs> it's just begging to be turned into a sliding into your dms like gif <laughs> yeah exactly and uh there's a couple of no names in the background of 10 forward playing uh three-dimensional space chess uh-huh. <laughs> as the banger is uh like in between the the first and second banger <laughs> There's a guy that's just frantically trying to put all the chess pieces back where they were. <laughs> uh, just really made me laugh because, like, the ship is shaking around like crazy. And he's like, fuck my game of chess. He really has a lot on the line there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that poor guy. Yeah. Uh, he's probably dead now. Felt like a real drunk Shimoda thing to do. Yeah. yeah. How about you? My drunk Shimoda goes to Riker. Um, in the scene where they're in the Jeffrey's tube crawling along and they're confronted with the lightning barrier, mm-hmm. I mean, 
we sort of made light of how fast the decision is made that that data would jump into it like a, <laughs> like a man jumping into a subway car who doesn't like his job like <laughs> like they they have a legit huddle up where they have sort of the conversation like are you sure this is going to work yeah i think so and one of the things that Riker says is, are you suggesting we use your body <laughs> as a means to to disrupt the lightning? And that to me is like, that's just perfect Riker because he just gets consent even for non-sex stuff. Like he's being super clear on yes meaning yes yeah. <laughs> about this crazy plan. So I'm definitely giving my Shimoda to Riker for that. Right on, Riker. The, the, the master of consent. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> Uh, what do we have coming up in the next episode? The next episode is season five, episode six, the game. The fate of the Federation is in Wesley Crusher, the boy's hands, <laughs> when he returns to find the crew of the entrepreneur addicted to a dangerous new game. Do you remember this episode, Adam? This is our Robin Leffler centric episode. Yeah. The Get Foxy a load of Leffler. Yeah. This is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I love fun. this episode. This is this is some people hate this episode like they hate Darmok. And I understand how people could hate Darmok. It's you either love that episode or you don't, but I I don't understand the hate for the game. The game's fun. It's one of those place episodes, isn't it, right? Don't hate the game. Hate the players. It's not a specific Star Trek story. It's a thing that happens in a Star Trek world. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. It does They're have a little bit space of, a, of an after-school special vibe to it, and it's pretty hilarious that they have to bring Wesley back for that reason. <laughs> it's too bad that part of the episode isn't Wesley recalling Tasha's admonishment yeah. about how bad drugs are. <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. That would have been good. Well, would you veto this one? Or it sounds Hell like you no. kind of like it. No, I I love this episode, and I would defend it with a counter veto if you tried any funny business. So <laughs> I definitely want to see it. I think we'll have a fun time with it. Yeah, I want to save my vetoes for something really bad yeah. this season. So uh, I We're not also, there yet. I also will not veto. So that's the next episode. Um, if you like this episode or any other episode and want to help us get the word out about the show, go to iTunes and leave us a nice review. If you'd like to talk to us on Twitter, use the hashtag GreatestGen. There's a lively community. Bill Tilly's up there putting up baseball cards. And Kilzer is up there doing uh, <laughs> Riker Collection VHSs. There's, there's so much fun content going on on there. Uh, and uh, that is nothing to diminish the great stuff that happens in the Facebook group and on the Reddit uh, a real, a real sweet community of people have uh, just grown up around this show, and we feel so lucky every single time we get to interact with that community. If you like the music we play on the show, uh, our title and interstitial music's done by the one Dark Materia, and uh, with other supporting music done by our friend Adam Ragusea. Yeah, the great Adam Ragusea. And I think that just about wraps it up, Adam. Yeah, I think so. Well, with that... We will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is super addictive despite the fact that it doesn't look like it would actually be that fun. Yeah, what's up with that?
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.